All right, bradcooney.com in association with HCN Networks. It's absolutely honored to have in Dr. Michael Denon, who is a professor. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a physicist, folks. He's a, he's a really smart guy. He's with the um, University of California at Irvine. Um, he's also can be seen on Ancient Aliens, which is on the History Channel, a really interesting program about UFOs and all kinds of cool stuff that may have happened back in the pyramid days. And uh, Michael, very, very um, glad you, that you joined us tonight. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. It's always fun to do this. Well, we've got a lot to talk about. I've seen Ancient Aliens a lot of times. I've seen you on there. Um, you know, I guess the first thing I want to ask you is, is what do you think, man? Do you think UFOs are the real deal? Is this something that's, that's really happened to planet Earth? So, I get that question a lot, obviously. Um, and I kind of have maybe three parts to it. First of all, I am going to see if I do think there's alien life out there. And we can talk about that more. Yep. Um, I'm of the opinion that it hasn't been here yet. Um, and I want to be very clear, that's really just my gut opinion. Mm -hmm. I think as a scientist, one of the most important things I like to communicate is particularly when we talk about alien visitation in the past, it, it's, it's a difficult science question because science involves doing repeatable experiments and mm -hmm. it's something that's happened, it's over, it's hard to do an experiment. Um, and, and third, I happen to have great faith in the intelligence of people overall, maybe not all individuals, but, <laughs> um, and, and most of the stuff that tends to get the ancient alien focus is things that were built. Um, and actually being an experimentalist where I build a lot of my own equipment and having worked a lot with machinists who have to build stuff, it never ceases to amaze me. I think this is impossible to build, but it's a crazy experiment I want. I bring it to a guy, and he's like, oh, yeah, we know how to do that, and they have it done in a week. So, um, And it has less to do with equipment that we have now than just human ingenuity. Hmm. So you think that the, like one of the episodes I saw was this big round uh, wheel looking thing and it had an extremely smooth almost like a baby butt smooth surface to it and one of the arguments that the archaeologist is saying that this is no way this could have been hand uh, crafted it had to have been machine type crafted so you just don't buy that? You know again for me I think it's, it really is a question of opinion and, and I really think these things are possible to do by hand when you consider one no one was distracted by TV back then true um, they had the more time they had more patience they had more human labor and when you look at things most of the things that come out it's about a question of being smooth usually about being round in a circle they are the shapes and the things that are kind of easiest to do um, I mean when I was in college we had to polish plastic for um a particular experiment and the plastic had it was going to basically be a light guide and the requirement for smoothness was incredibly rigid and no machine actually that we had could do it the smoothness was achieved by a human being going through many different levels of sandpaper down to the finest mm. and doing it by hand so that's to me just from my own experience sort of that counter to oh you know you need a machine to do it this smooth when I've seen things done where the machine couldn't do it and the person could. Mm -hmm. Again, this is to me, this is all fun. It's interesting speculation. It might have been something other than people, but I think you can't rule out people for even those cases. Let's talk about pyramids real quick. Um, a lot of people on the streets still say that, that, that we don't know 
how the pyramids were, were built yet um, because of the sheer size. I've actually been to Cairo and, 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 and stood right there by, you know, by the pyramids. Um, and they're just awesome. If, 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 uh, if somebody hasn't been there, I highly encourage to go out there and visit that. Um, but yeah, so, so what is your opinion on that? I mean, is, is there any truth to that or do we, do we have a pretty good grasp of how they did build them? It does. What about what about the fact that the the pyramids in the Yucatan, the Mayan ruins, the the archaeol the archaeological well, I just stumbled that word all the hell. Um, archaeology. Yeah. Um, the designs are very very similar, and the mode of boat travel wasn't was it, I mean, maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong or not. But what, what's the what's the odds of that happening? That that here in the Yucatan. Um, we have the same design as pyramids as they do in Egypt. Yeah, so that is one that I, you know, I've heard it on the show, I've seen it on the show, I've seen, you know, being involved, people make that. To me, I'll be honest, that's like the weakest of arguments that this was done by some of the other people because this sort of, one of the areas I study in physics is how sand piles, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if you're going to start building something tall, the only way, the easiest way to do it is make a pyramid. And there aren't that many different ways to make a pyramid. Um, so I think this is much more a case of separate places coming to the same simple solution rather than some sort of alien visiting oh, okay. different people and telling them how to do it. So the, just the, stru the sound structure, the way to do that would be, the, that would be the easiest way to make a sound structure. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, let's talk space travel. Um, now, Star Trek, of course, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I'm, I'm guessing you probably are, too. I am, too. Yeah, definitely. yeah. Um, Garrett Wang's also actually a, um, an acquaintance of mine. Uh, he played uh, the Kim on Voyager. Uh, oh, okay. Kim. Yeah. Um, okay, so, of course, if you're a Star Trek fan, you know about Warp Drive and uh, Warp, you know, 1 through 9. Um, do you believe warp drive is, you know, as far as physics go, possible for humans to ever achieve? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give two answers to this that both kind of have a yes. Mm -hmm. One scientific and one not so scientific. Okay. My not so scientific answer is it's obvious we're going to figure out how to do something. 
even like warp drive, or most of the galaxy is just wasted space. Ah. I mean, I really, I look, I mean, I'm one of these very optimistic people. I look at it, I'm like, it's there, we're going to get there. You know, I mean, I think if you were sitting, you know, on Europe at, at, you know, the beginning of the age of exploration when people like Columbus were going to start sailing out in ships and most people around said, you're just crazy, you're never going to make it. Um, and yet they figured out how to, how to do it. And I think something will happen. There's enough that we don't know about physics that I think the solution is out there. Now, um, what, what it'll exactly look like, obviously, is, is, is much harder to predict since, by definition, we don't know what it is. But we have some hints. Um, in, in physics, we like to talk about quantum mechanics, mm-hmm. which is our theory of really, really small things. Um, and it's probably one of the most highly tested and confirmed theories. Your cell phone works because of it. You know, all the modern technology works because of it. Um, and then we also talk about relativity. You know, people are familiar with Einstein equals MC squared. Mm-hmm. That's fundamentally about how space behaves, particularly when gravity is around. Okay. What we do not know is how to connect those two of our most tested theories together yet. It's one of the most active areas of research. And kind of contained within... Um, Relativity, and and I actually I should be honest. There's a book, The Science of Star Trek, or The Physics of Star Trek, that actually talks about this in a very nice way. Is the ability to warp and bend space, and that's fundamentally the idea behind a warp drive. Mm-hmm. Is that you sort of you almost want to think of it as suppose you want to go really really far away. Instead of you flying there quickly, you just literally shrink space between you and it step over to the new spot and then let space expand back to its original size. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, and, you know, so it's one of these things in, in physics, you can talk about how might we do it, but you can't answer a question like, well, how much energy would that take? What would you actually need to do to do it? Would In the process of doing that, would you rip yourself apart? Mm-hmm. Um, so the practical sides of it, we don't have the tools yet to answer, but I think these two combinations of we have hints of it in our current theories of physics, and to me, it's just more of a philosophical position. There's all that space out there. We've got to be able to get to it somehow. What about wormholes? So wormholes are exactly that same sort of idea of different than the stretching and expanding space that I mentioned. It has much more to do with kind of connecting two regions of space with a hole. Um... And there's, there's good reasons to believe they may exist naturally. Um, creating one is a challenge. They tend to be such high gravitational field areas. You would imagine for travel, they're more likely to rip you apart than let you go through them. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's, it's enough of an intriguing idea that I think it's, it's one thing that people think about. Okay, could that be used for travel? Could you create an artificial one that would allow you to get somewhere quickly? So, if you believe it's possible that there is alien life out there, and I think the math pretty much supports that when you look at the amount of stars and star systems and, and planets, and you know now we're starting to you know um, uh, discover extrasolar planets, so we we can actually see them um, in some cases, and we you know the wobble effect and Doppler. I mean, there's a million, there's a lot of different right. ways we, we can prove it now. So, do you, if you feel that there's there is life out there? It's going to be older than us, right? Since since the universe we believe is expanding, 
Well, not necessarily. Okay, um, you touch on that. Yeah, so, I mean, one of the interesting kind of things to think about is, um, yes, when we, when we look far away, we're, we're technically looking into the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but our planet is also quite old. Um, and there's an interesting kind of um, physics issue here, which is a lot of people think of, if, if I'm thinking straight from purely a scientific viewpoint of, of say, life arising on Earth, you, the traditional description is, you know, you have a whole bunch of sort of molecules that eventually managed to form DNA, that eventually formed a nucleus and a cell and so on. If you watch the Big Bang Theory TV show, you know, you, you get that in the song at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and people view this as as an inherently random process. So they say, well, it took so long because it's just chance and, and we got lucky and we got life. And as a physicist who studies, um, one of the things I study is the behavior system subjected to a lot of energy input. Um, the answer to that is kind of yes and no. And I'd love to talk about a, a simple example, which is you, you put oil in a frying pan on a stove. Mm-hmm. If you don't heat the oil, the molecules are moving randomly. And they will never, ever in your lifetime, in the lifetime of the universe, organize into convection rolls, which is the fluid rolling around coherently mm-hmm. and making little hexagons. But if you turn on the burner and you heat the bottom of the pan and you wait, you get that every time. Right. Now, it takes a certain amount of time for them to develop. So if I think about the Earth, the Earth is always getting energy from the sun. The Earth is my frying pan. If the sun wasn't there, then I wouldn't expect life to show up from random motions. Mm-hmm. But because the sun is putting in energy, we could be in what we call in physics the right parameter space to automatically get life. It's just going to happen. It's just a question of how long it will take. And we've done one experiment. That experiment's the Earth. We know it takes a long time. So when I look out at other planets and I see ones in what they call the habitable zone, my assumption based on what we know about the Earth is they will have life, but the time it takes to get life will be roughly the same as it is here. Mm -hmm. So I would expect maybe they're a little bit ahead, maybe they're a little bit behind. You know, there are some questions of whether intelligent life is automatic or just life is automatic. These are things we don't really know. But I wouldn't expect them to be that much ahead of us yet, just um, from how long it takes life to show up. Hmm. What kind of life do you think is out there? Um, you know, I mean, is, is, do you believe it's intelligent? Um, do they have two legs and two arms and a brain? I mean, it's so weird when you think about the, the you know, what, what life could be other than on Earth. Right. So the first is I think it's very likely that there is other carbon-based life. And I do that based on the fact that we have experimental evidence that it happened once. Very easy to believe it can happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you look at life on Earth, I mean, there are things that you look at either in the fossil record or deep in the ocean or in bizarre I mean, even just some frogs or insects or things. I mean, if, if, if you didn't know they were here already, you would look at them and say, that's an alien life form. Mm-hmm. So, and then you could sort of ask from a chemistry and physics point of view, um, you know, what's similar to carbon and what might lead to some of the things. And you can imagine silicon-based life forms people have talked about. Presumably that would look a little different than carbon. And so when I just talk life, Yes, there'd be a whole range of crazy forms it would take. Certainly the carbon ones, I think, are easy to imagine happening. It 
intelligent life, I think, is the much more interesting and challenging question. And I think there we don't understand consciousness and intelligence well enough mm -hmm. yet. I think that's really the science of the 21st century, and I'm really excited to see what people will come up with. I don't think, for me personally, I don't see any reason why you need the human brain to have intelligence, right? Intelligence to me may be a, a byproduct of how complex our brain is, but I can imagine lots of other systems that are complex in the right way that don't look like our brain that are also would lead to intelligence. Mm. So would an intelligence life form have to look like us? Probably not. Would it look like vaguely something familiar because it's made out of carbon? My guess would be yes. Mm. That makes sense. It does. Familiar meaning looking like some of the strange creatures we've seen already on our planet. Right, right, I got you. Um, can science and religion coexist? Can there be, in your opinion, um, can, let's scratch Adam and Eve for a second, let's say that never happened, and it was uh, life formed by, you know, like how you were saying before, right. like molecules and atoms and things like that. Um, could there can there be a, a, a architect behind an intelligent architect behind all this so that somebody could could call God? Oh, I, I very much believe yes. Um, I, I think particularly in in, in our current era, um, I have a very specific viewpoint on this mm -hmm. that's come out of thinking about the last few years. And I'm glad you asked me that because I have a book that will hopefully come out in a month or two on exactly this topic. Oh, great. Um, called God is the Ultimate Superhero. Okay. Um, and, and the idea, I think, is we are very... When we have this discussion of can there be a God, even if science is right about how life got started, um, we tend to think of this from... If I ask... And I've done this, I've asked lots of people, I say, describe to me what a creator looks like or what it means to have a creator. People very much go right away to like a craftsman or an artist or even mm -hmm. a computer engineer. And you have this image of a person creating something separate from themselves. Um, and I think this idea of creation isn't really the idea when you ask people who believe in a god, you know, they don't think of... They may think of it day-to-day -day as God as a, a, a separate being from themselves, but really most faiths have this idea of God being so transcendent that God is everything or more than everything, mm -hmm. or I've used the phrase the fullness of reality, and, and creation is just really a part of God. Um, and, and I think one of our problems in having discussions of this, science talks about physical reality, which is very, in a way, kind of finite, hands-on, senses, mm -hmm. and language works pretty well for it. God, for most people, is somehow beyond our senses, beyond, is infinite and transcendent, and by definition, language is finite, so you start failing to be able to talk about it in a reasonable way. And the image I like to have is a, a child in a mother's womb as physical reality and the mother and the child together as God because it has this image of the child starts incredibly small and grows more and more complex just like the image of the Big Bang um, and yet it has the idea of a creator sort of infusing all of reality with all the rules that it has and all the ways it's going to behave and all the reasons it's going to be. So I'm not sure if that image it, you know, helps, but that's kind of where I like to start from. Interesting take, man. 
So when somebody says, do you believe in God? And somebody says, yes. And then the, and then the person comes back and says, well, what created God? You know, that's that's a common question I hear a lot. When, 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 especially when an atheist debates um, somebody who's, who's a believer in God, usually the atheist will ask, well, what created God? What's physics tell us about that? Well, so that's, that's one of those funny things that I think is, is a, you know, an interesting debate tactic, but not really a, a sort of rational science question. Because, you know, science, even if we have the Big Bang, we have the problem of what was before the Big Bang. Right. At some point, whether you are an atheist or a believer in God, you have to accept some part of reality that just always was. Yeah. No matter who you are. And so I think it's, it's a little, I hate to say it, it is a little underhanded and misleading if you are an atheist to use, oh, well, who created God as your argument? Because I'm going to turn around as a believer and say to you, well, who created the Big Bang? You know, I mean, there is that fundamental trouble that we have wrapping our head around as humans because we're used to beginnings and ends. Yes, yes. Of something that just existed forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and personally, though, I am a believer and I believe in God. I can see reasons why people would be an atheist. It's just not my experience of the world. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think, I think a lot of the standard arguments brought up in debates are not as rational as certain atheists would like to claim they are. Yeah, man. I'm with, see, I'm with you 100% on that. We probably had the same beliefs. Um, I, I want to touch back on Einstein again for a minute. Um, is it true that if I, let's just say me and you walked up on a spacecraft and I shook your hand and said, all right, I'll see you when I see you, and you say good luck, and I get in that spacecraft and I fly at light speed, let's say 30 light years, and turn around and come back. Is it true that I would be, you would be long dead, and I would be finding my great, 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 great grandchildren. Yes, exactly. It is. It's one of the most mind-boggling things about relativity. Um, and the the interesting thing about it is we experience evidence of that feature of relativity kind of every day. Well, we don't actually directly, but the, our, our planet does. There's cosmic rays that have particles um, that are bombarding us that we know when they're not traveling fast that their lifetime is incredibly short, not long enough to make it from the top of our atmosphere where they're created down to the earth to be detected, mm-hmm. and yet we regularly detect them. And the reason we detect them is they're moving so close to the speed of light that they live much longer than they should. Ah. Time slows down for them. Yeah, okay. So it's actually something we can do experiments on and measure. The, the funny thing in relativity is, and this is the hard thing I think even for me and most physicists, but for people to wrap their head around, what happens is space and time are no longer separate things. They're intertwined as a single entity. And moving through space and time, it, what, what matters is kind of the difference between two events. And so the, the, the thing that causes this, what people often call the twin paradox, confusion for people, is if you go out in space and come back, you know, why are you surviving in younger wares? Why is it the same? Why is it really like the Earth moving away and the Earth coming back and I'm younger, right? Um, and and the, the trick is that one of us has to turn around mm-hmm. for the two things to come back together. And turning around in physics is what we call an acceleration. To turn around, you have to change your velocity. 
accelerated and who didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you fly out at the speed of light, it's kind of this weird thing. If you're flying away from me at the speed of light and I'm sitting on the earth, we don't know who's actually moving at that point. It's just like, for anyone who's ever been on a train next to another train, there's always that weird instance where it's like, okay, are we moving or are they moving? Or oh, moving yeah, 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 yeah. the window, right? Yep. You know, so you can't really tell. But as soon as you feel like your train is bumping, you know you're moving, right? Yep. And it's that change in velocity, the bumpiness, that lets you know that you're moving. So we detect accelerations, not velocity. Mm-hmm. So as you're flying out in space near the speed of light, Time is flowing for you, from my perspective. From your perspective, actually, what's happening is time is normal, and the distances in front of you are shrinking. So something that looked very far away is getting closer faster than it should. Very interesting. And that's why you stay young, from your perspective. And then that key is, at some point to come back to Earth, you have to turn around, and that act of turning around with your relativity, you can compute what it does to time. And that's really that key for when you come back, I'm dead, and you're meeting your great, 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 you know, grandkids. Very, very interesting. Although, nice how you laid that out. It paints a good picture. Um, All right, so I want to talk about time travel. Perfect. Time travel, of course, you know, getting back to Star Trek again, there's a couple episodes where they, where they, you know, have to go back in time. Um, right. Is it possible? Is that something that can happen? So, the, the, there's, again, one of the cool things about our current understanding of science, that we've talked about it a little bit and alluded to it, is that we can warp space. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of the mental image you want to have is there... If you're moving through space, there's kind of this imaginary cone in front of you that's set by the speed of light, which means you can only, since you can't go faster than the speed of light, you can only kind of move around and change how time goes so much. So we just talked about, you know, flying out of your spaceship, Mm -hmm. turning around and coming back, and suddenly you're well in the future compared to the people on Earth. That's kind of moving inside that cone in a way that slowed down time for you. Mm-hmm. But because of that barrier of light, without doing something really fancy, you can't ever actually get backwards in time. You can just slow it down. Mm. But general relativity, which tells us about how gravity works, allows space to bend so much that you can actually do what we call a closed time-like curve. You can move through space and time together in such a way that you end up back at a time in your past. This is theoretically possible within the theory of general relativity. Wow. Now, there, there's a couple of, there's, there's one physics things about this that I just don't understand, and whenever I talk to my colleagues who do this professionally, I can't get a good answer from them. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about this journey, it, it's sort of like saying, Okay, you leave your house, and you make a whole bunch of left turns, and you're going to end up back at your house. But while you're making all your left turns, in fact, your whole house and everything is moving through space as well. So you you may end up at the coordinate where your house was, but there's no guarantee that your house is still there. Mm -hmm. So I I think, from a physics point of view, the right thing to say is you can go back to a, a coordinate in time that you used to be at. But if you think you're going to see the Earth in the past, it's already moved to some other coordinate in time, and so it won't even be there. I think. I've never gotten a straight answer as to whether or not that's what would actually happen. 
Mm. Um, the other strange thing about it is we just don't know. This bending of space-time really does take a ton of energy, and calculating that energy and figuring it out um, is something we can't really do yet because it's going to involve quantum mechanics as well. And so it falls into that category of, you know, we have some interesting theory that says, you know, it might be possible, but we still don't know enough to really answer yes or no, what would it look like, and how possible is it. Very interesting. Uh, let's get back on ancient aliens again. Um, um, have you ever seen anything on this show or been presented with any type of evidence that's that's moved the meter towards being less skeptic? Um, you know, I think the, the one concept that makes me, you know, possibly um, less skeptic. Is, is sort of this concept of aliens that fly by but don't stop and stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this kind of comes more from sort of a, a you know, we, we talked earlier with life um, really be that different. And, and I, I look at it and I just look at our response to things and, you know, I can't think of it a single example in history where a group of people went somewhere new, kind of did a few things and then left and never bothered with those people again. You know, life likes to colonize things mm-hmm. and, and take advantage of it. But you could imagine, you know, habitable, habitable doesn't mean the same thing to all species, even on our own planet, right? There's things that can live in the bottom of the ocean but can't live up in the mm-hmm. atmosphere. There's things that live at the Arctic and in the desert and vice versa. So I am vaguely intrigued by this idea of uh, a life form that had developed interstellar travel, um, either passed by or passed through, but in such a way that um, they didn't feel any need to stay or they physically couldn't stay. Um, So the the idea of UFO sightings or alien sightings influencing reports and art and that sort of thing is more intriguing to me than the argument that someone would land, be able to survive in a atmosphere, would teach people to build stuff, and then just move on. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, this is just, I wouldn't ever claim this to be uh, scientific per se, but more just kind of, you know, my gut feeling based on how I see things Mm -hmm. going. You know, I have, a, I have an opinion on this I want to share and get your thoughts on. Sure. You know, we, we as humans, NASA's developed, and so is the Europeans, in fact. Uh, they just had a cool mission on that on that comet. Um, in fact, that thing's going to land, I think, this month on that comet. Right. Yeah. But we have, we've, we've developed the rovers, you know, robots that go into Mars, uh, which is a lot safer. Um, we're not ready for humans to be there yet. Uh, the robots, they don't require oxygen to breathe, so they can, you know, and they, they don't, temperatures doesn't really bother them as far as, um, I guess after a long time it does, but right. you get what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. So, so what do you think the possibility is that perhaps some of these UFOs people are seeing today are robotic missions, probes of some, or of some sorts, uh, drone-type UFOs that they're just here to look, you know, because it's maybe, maybe they developed a technology to get here, but not not with life forms yet, just to right. kind of research by robotics. I mean, I, obviously I think both for them and, and for when we manage to get interstellar, that is a natural, like, first way to think mm-hmm. about it, first approach. And 
I think that would certainly be more likely to be something that happens than people actually, you know, visiting the current UFOs. You know, I, it was interesting. I went to a UFO Congress uh, last year, I think. Um, and one of the things that struck me about it is, is again, you know, the challenge with any sort of current UFO sighting or visitation or experience is, that from a science point of view, is unfortunately there are these one-off experiences. Um, and it's much more like, it, it, you know, it's the same reason in our courts of law um, we don't decide things, quote, scientifically. We decide it from a jury because at the end of the day, there's maybe, if you're lucky, a couple of witnesses and you're having to try and figure out what did they really see versus what they thought they saw. I um, mean, it's not to discount people's experiences because I really think most people who have some sort of UFO experience had a real experience. The question is just what was it? Right. Um, and the thing that tends me to lean more to the skeptical side currently, even for the robotic ones, is, you know, the rover, we sent it 